to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez, joined this evening by Tyler Burton. We're officially in the offseason. Doesn't mean that anything stops for the Mainline Podcast. Lots of things still going on for football. We're going to get into the five burning questions that we have as we head into this offseason for the football team. Touch a little bit on men's basketball. Maybe even a, a little tidbit there on baseball. We're going to have a lot more stickball sports uh, here in the coming weeks to talk about for the Sooners. But before we jump into all that, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Adam. It's kind of a bittersweet time of the year. Um, obviously, a six and seven season. As Oklahoma fans, we're kind of kind of <laughs> excited to see it come to an end. But that just means now we've got to wait nine more months for the 2023 campaign to kick off. But uh, yeah, college football season. Sixty more minutes of football. National championship game is all that is left to wrap up this uh, this season. So. Uh, again, going to savor it next Monday night. But yeah, everything's good up here in Denver. Um, it's cold as hell. <laughs> uh, it was, I think, the wind chill last week. It got down to about negative uh, thirty during during the nighttime. So yeah, pretty chilly here. Excited for springtime. Uh, but yeah, man, a lot, lot of stuff going on. Uh, we'll kind of put a bow uh, on what was the twenty twenty two season. Look ahead to twenty twenty three. But yeah, everything's good, man. How about you? Doing well. Uh, it's a little bit nicer here in Oklahoma, so I can't complain too much <laughs> yeah. about that. You mentioned the national championship game coming up on Monday. You've got Georgia. You've got TCU. Mm-hmm. Are you rooting for TCU to win that game? Oh, absolutely. I think you okay. have to at this point. It's too good of a story to not see them win one more football game. Do I think they can do it? Um, I honestly don't know. I was pretty... I was pretty adamant that I thought Michigan was going to beat them in the Fiesta Bowl, and and uh, and TCU surprised me. So, but in, in my opinion, as well as TCU played against Michigan, they kind of had a couple breaks go their way. You know, Michigan throwing a couple of pick sixes, fumbling at the you know uh, fumbling at the one yard line. I think I think Adam Michigan went three possessions where they got inside the five yard line, uh, goal to goal situation. They walked away with three points or fewer. So. In my opinion, I think Georgia is just a better, more talented, well-coached version of Michigan. So I hate to say it, but I think that the Cinderella run is going to come to an end for TCU. But regardless, I don't care if they lose by three. I don't care if they lose by 40. That's a fantastic season for Sonny Dykes. And you just love seeing some some new blood in the college football playoff, especially in the national championship game. Yeah, I think I'll be rooting for TCU as well because of the underdog you know, and all that. But I, let me ask you, let me rephrase that question, I guess, in a different way. TCU wins Monday night against Georgia. Is it a blip on the radar or is it something that OU has to go up against in the recruiting grounds, probably in the on the field for another year or two? Is this something that becomes a major roadblock? I'm not sure if roadblock is the right thing, but I think it's pretty clear, Adam, just like in what we've seen in the last you know four or five weeks, that TCU, they're capitalizing on this momentum. They're taking full advantage of the incredible season that they've had You know, uh, with a couple of key additions in the transfer portal so far. High school recruiting is going well for them. Sonny Dykes has got this program rolling right now. Um, as far as do I think that this is, you know, like a – you know, is this a huge thorn in Oklahoma's side if TCU goes on and wins a national championship? Honestly, no, not really. Maybe, you know, maybe they lose one or two guys here and there that choose to stay home uh, and play in Fort Worth. But I think moving forward, you root for TCU. You hope that they win. Um, even though we are going to be an SEC school, you know, many people say, yeah, root for Georgia, keep it in conference. But this is such a good story in college football right now. Sonny Dykes, Max Duggan, what's been going on up in Fort Worth? How can you not root for TCU uh, Monday night if you're an Oklahoma fan? 
I will, but man, it'll irk me so bad if a Big 12 team wins a national title before OU does. Um, that That's just so frustrating to me. I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing other teams that uh, are lesser than OU perform much better than OU or teams, uh, you know, even like Michigan, for example. They haven't really done a whole lot the last 20 years or so, and all of a sudden they're a much better program uh, than OU. We'll see if, if Jim Harbaugh sticks around. There's certainly rumors there, but do we want to do we want to give a shout out to Tulane, Willie Fritz? Man, Doug, I mean, just, I guess just, is it a just round of applause for all those listening? Just quick round of applause. <laughs> I mean, just fantastic. What was USC was what up sixteen with five minutes left? I think Figured it was, it was to... fifteen with four minutes left. Yeah. God, so just... you knew it was going to happen, right? Like it just felt like the perfect team. Uh-huh. Tulane, you know, is, is a physical team. They're, they have a ton of speed, but they're a physical team. And uh-huh. you love to see it just expose Lincoln Riley even more for the, all the national fans. And and USC fans, I think, are figuring it out a way lot earlier than, than OU fans uh-huh. did. But a lot of OU fans didn't recognize what was going on at uh, in Norman until after he had left. But I think USC fans are onto it now. And I, I don't know if that's more hopeless than what OU fans were because USC fans – they know like, Hey, this isn't going to get any better. This is what it is. We're going to win 10, 11 games a year. We might go to the playoffs, but we're going to get smashed by any team that's more physical than us. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the Lincoln Riley blueprint, isn't it? I mean, it's not necessarily where uh, he's building a program, you know, based on physicality and, you know, a kind of a tough culture. It's we're just going to assemble all these teams with elite quarterback play, put some elite skill talent around him. And we're just basically going to try to do anything and everything possible to outscore the other team. And whether it was 2017 Rose Bowl with Baker or, you know, 2022 with Caleb Williams, once, you know, once uh, USC goes up against a team that's, you know, is equally talented or at least more physical than they are on the line of scrimmage, they just simply fold. I mean, USC, we saw it time and time again, Alex Grinch and Norman, and now Alex Grinch uh, out there in LA. And a new defensive coordinator doesn't solve that. What's going to solve that is probably a new strength coach, new yes. practice uh, routines as far as practicing tackling, more complimentary football, more focus on special teams, not killing you in, in the mm-hmm. big moments. So it's more than just a new defensive coordinator. And I, are, I'm not sure that Lincoln's able or, or willing to make those changes. Are you surprised that Alex Grinch still has a job at this point right now? We're three, four days removed, th- three days removed from the game now. I don't see how I, you can bring him back. I really don't. No, I, I kind of wonder if Lincoln wants to line up the next guy or get Alex to take a different role somewhere else. So it's not a big public firing and, bad PR necessarily. Yeah. He's, but my, he's a PR coach. He he knows and thinks about those things. Yeah. But my lot. pushback, my pushback on that is, is Lincoln willing to make the same mistake with Caleb Williams that he did with Baker Mayfield is, is he willing to basically roll the dice knowing the next year is going to be Caleb Williams final season, keep Alex Grinch on staff, keep Benny Wiley on staff, basically, you know, keep up with what you've been doing on the defensive side of the football and in the strength, strength and conditioning department and you're just going to rely on Caleb Williams to basically outscore all these people. Adam, the Pac-12, as good as it was this season, it's going to be better next year. Bo Nix is back. Michael Penix is back. UCLA is going to be a player as well. Uh, I've, you've got to, you would have to think that with Kyle Whittingham at Utah, even though Cam Rising's graduating, Utah is going to be back in contention again next season. Notre so, Dame's going to be better. Notre Dame's going to be better. So you can't Arizona's just re- probably going to get better. Yeah, like yeah the Arizona, the Arizona school, Colorado. There you go, Dion Prime Time. So that's well, we can touch on that. Do a deeper dive this off season, but I don't. I don't think that moving forward, 
if Lincoln Riley is serious about winning, I don't know how you can go into next fall with Alex Grinch and Benny Wiley as being part of your coaching staff next season. I know you've got the Heisman Trophy winner coming back, but I just don't see if you are serious about winning a national championship and taking full advantage of having 13 on your roster, you don't make a per- you don't make a coaching staff change and you don't change the way you practice and you change the way you construct your roster through the transfer portal this offseason. 100% agree. Uh, so there's a ton of questions hovering around USC this offseason. Unfortunately, they're not the only program yes. that has a ton of questions. Oklahoma. So what we want to cover is the five burning questions that OU needs to answer this offseason or, or that maybe we as fans want to have answers to. And we're going to try our best to answer some of those here on this uh, week's episode of the Mainline Podcast. Mm-hmm. So question number one, I'm kind of rephrasing this and I'll, I'll explain in a little more detail what we mean by this. But question number one, time or hot seat. And the thinking here is that there's two camps. Most fans are, are pretty much in on Brent Venables is one. Mm-hmm. He needs more time. He's an elite recruiter. He needs time to install, you know, more of, of his system, more of, of Jeff Levy's offense, uh, more of his players getting into key roles and it's going to turn around, but it's just going to take some more time or and I'm not suggesting that Brent is on the hot seat, but you know, things move fast in college football and mm-hmm. another six and seven season and and more in-game blunders as a coach, um, you know, are those going to continue or, or is there actually going to be improvement there? Tyler, what, what's your feeling here and what camp are you in? Well, I think like you said, Adam, you know, it's everything moves a lot faster nowadays in college football and with Oklahoma an impending move to the SEC in 2024 or 2025, that just makes the 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 uh, wheel spin that much faster as an Oklahoma fan when talking about Brent Venables and you know, we've heard so many so many people talk over the last few days since the conclusion of the Cheez-It Bowl, you know, wh- what grade do you want to give Brent Venables? You know, what or what what do you want to factor in when basing how good of a job uh, did BB do in his first year? So I, I think I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, I think that I think that one you have to acknowledge that a six and seven season is not what anybody had in mind um, with the roster that this team had. Uh, and even though there were some holes, and we, you know we talked about it over the course of the regular season, uh, I think that Brent did do a, a pretty good job. And I think that one of the things that has got Oklahoma fans um, maybe you know exhaling a little bit is one. The performance that they put up in the Cheez It Bowl. Yes, I know it was a loss, but that that was a team playing basically five new offensive line after the, five new offensive linemen after the uh, third play of the first quarter with Jacob Sexton going down and four starting offensive linemen, you know, being out or playing a new position. But Oklahoma showed toughness. They showed physicality. They fought. They took the fight to Florida State, who didn't have a single player out in the Cheez-It Bowl for those Seminoles down in Tallahassee. So I think that when you combine the performance that Oklahoma put out, they were prepared, they were ready to go, they took the fight to Florida State. But then you also pair it with the fact that Brent Venables just signed a top-five recruiting class, the highest-ranked recruiting class that Oklahoma's had in over a decade, the highest-ranked recruiting class that Oklahoma's had, even including when Lincoln Riley was here, bringing in guys like Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams, all the five-star wide receivers. So if you're if you're an OU fan, and I guess this is me you know, speaking for myself personally, you give it time. Because if there's one thing that we've seen, especially on the defensive side of the football, when Br- where Brent Venables in his first stint in Oklahoma and then during his time at Clemson, that progression from year one to year two 
they're, the defense pr- uh, improves a tremendous amount. So uh, we've already seen some additions in the transfer portal. We've got a lot of experience coming back next year. Another offseason in the uh, weight room with Jerry Schmidt. Another offseason in the film room continuing to learn this, uh, the schematics uh, of what Jeff Levy and Ted Roof and Brent Venables are instilling. I think at this point right now, you have to feel – you, I think you should feel good about the direction that this program is going in right now. Now, if we'll we'll revisit this one year from today, Adam, but I think you've got to feel good and don't you know nobody's hand is close to that panic button yet. I think if you're an OU fan, my faith has been sh- has been shaken in in Brent Venables. It wouldn't be a, a mainline podcast if we didn't uh, have a a cameo by Lincoln, the dog as, as Tyler goes off to tend to the whimpering dog, if you can hear that in the background, but I, I wouldn't, I can't sit here and say my faith isn't shaken in Brent Venables because of what we saw on the field, you know, his, his coaching between the two end zones this year just left a lot of questions. There was clock management issues. There was timeout issues. There was tempo issues. There was the, is he the defensive coordinator? Is he not the defensive coordinator? We'll talk a little more detail about that in a second. Um, and, you know, this is something we asked Twitter about the other day. Uh, mm-hmm. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. We got a whole bunch of different responses. We'll pepper some of these in throughout the conversation. Um, but uh, Flyer uh, Asuner, he mentioned game management, one of the biggest ones that he wants to see Brent Venables improve on uh, going into next year. And I, that's going to be a challenge. I, I think Brent Venables is a guy that likes to look in the mirror and see what's what's wrong. But that I think that is a real challenge for a coach. And it's his first year as a head coach. Maybe he improves dramatically, you know, as does the team in year two. But there's certainly a lot of questions around, you know, what's going to happen? If you were to say, you know, he's on the tarmac, he comes into Norman, you know, a, a little over a year ago now. Mm-hmm. And you were to say, hey, in year two, Brent Venables is only going to do nine wins. I think a lot of people would say, well, that's kind of disappointing. We think he's going to do a lot better than that. And now here we are, January 4th, 2023, and we're saying, man, can we get nine wins in 2023? Right. And that's disappointing. Anything that's less than double-digit wins, in my opinion, is completely unacceptable at the University of Oklahoma. And the standard every year is win the national championship. So nine wins is what everyone's kind of gearing towards, and and that's the chatter next year. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm not okay with that. And so – Brent Venables is a big piece of that. You know, he's got to be able to put his team in the best position to win, whether it's the tempo, whether it's the game management. Um, we got a funny response from uh, from just a Sooner fan said, "Score four more points than the other team." <laughs> oh, you lost so many team, uh, so many games by three points uh, there at the end of the season. Finished the season uh, on a three and seven run. That was just awful. Yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of things that can be fixed, and I think Brent Venables is is the one that needs to look in the mirror and. I think he can do it, but man, I'm starting to feel a little bit more like he might be the guy to recruit our next national champion class, but not actually coach that class. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, really good tweet there uh, in response from just a Sooner fan. Oklahoma (laughs) score four more points uh, in each of their games next season. But yeah, OU was 0-5 in one possession games this season, losing their last four uh, all by three points. So yeah, there were there's definitely some improvements that Brent Venables and this coaching staff have to make. You know, you would expect that a coach who has been around the game of football, particularly at the Division One level, for so long, you would expect those some of those mistakes that we saw, especially from a game management and a time management standpoint uh, that BV made this year. You would expect that was not to happen, but um, just like we, just like we see from you know uh, like a, a true freshman. They make some mistakes. Sometimes things are a little bit fast uh, that they're not used to. 
I think the kind of a similar uh, similar case can be made for Brent Venables. So, you know, the Band-Aid's ripped off. The the honeymoon phase is over. Brent's gone through the ringer. You know, he's got a full season under his belt now. How does he use this offseason to make adjustments within his coaching staff, within his coaching philosophy, with the scheme, with how he practices, with how these guys train? I think that this is a huge offseason for uh, for Oklahoma, and I think that, you know, goes without saying, what Oklahoma does these next four to five months, especially with spring football, now that you've got this young uh, batch of talent coming in, this is going to be a huge offseason for Brent Venables because, like you said, Adam, the expectation, I think, right now for the fan base as a whole is, you know, maybe we're comfortable with a 9-3 and three season next year. To, to me – Anything less than Oklahoma playing in the Big 12 championship game next year is a failure, especially if Dylan Gabriel comes back, especially if Marvin Mims comes back. We all see that um, defensive line, I think, is going to be an issue going into next season. That's going to be the biggest head-scratcher for fans until we can see Team 129 take the field. But, yeah, anything less than Oklahoma playing in Arlington next season, it's it's a failure for me. One thing Brent Venables preached a lot when he first got to Norman was that the details matter. And I, we saw the details off the field, you know, relationally, spiritually, mentally, sure. physically, he's taking care of the players at a new level that we haven't seen at OU on the field, in the game, the results on the field, the thing that matters most to the fans, to the university, so on and so forth, the details lacked there. And so that's something that we're going to need to see dramatic improvement on. And I, I do think I, he's he's going to get there, but man, it's so frustrating that we had to go through this past season and we could have, you know, a few tweaks here and there and the record changes dramatically. I do think that one of the things that's going to be, you know, a huge help to Brent Venables, you know, regardless of what he changes from a coaching philosophy or schematic standpoint, it's this roster is going to get better. We're starting to see more talented players come into this program, come inside the Switzer Center. So we all know, you know, from his time, you know, in the early 2000s in Oklahoma, the last decade at Clemson, when you've got elite talent, you pair that with Brent Venables' defensive scheme, good things are going to happen. So, again, I just go back to the recruiting, Adam. I mean, coming off – not not I think, you know, what, what he did last offseason – once he got hired on and he had two weeks to kind of keep that class held together after Lincoln Riley left, um, yeah, I guess Lincoln Riley left in September, uh, but holding that class, holding that class together. And then what he did this season coming off of a six and seven type year, brand new coaching staff, some coaches <laughs> coaching their position for the you know first year to haul in a top five recruiting class, a five-star quarterback. Okay. That's good. We're used to that at Oklahoma, but you pair that with a five-star defensive end at PJ Adebare. You pair that with a five-star safety in Peyton Bowen. You pair you pair that with with uh, I think it, what was it Adam eight of Oklahoma's top eleven recruits in this recruiting class are all in the, all on the defensive side of the football to go along with the five-star quarterback. So you can kind of see the shift in not just the way that Oklahoma recruits, but you can start to see and we'll we'll see it again a little bit more in 2024 with what this coaching staff is going to bring in. It's kind of a shift to where it's not just necessarily such a, a an offensive-focused football team. It's going to be more balanced. It's going to be based more on physicality, uh, high IQ type football guys, um, you know, guys that are, you know, uh, high character, come from good families. So, again, forget what the original question was, got off on a tangent there, but yeah. I, well, I, I, think, I think as an Oklahoma fan right now, you should feel good about the direction uh, of this program right now. Um, and we can discuss that a little bit more as the offseason goes on. 
Well, let's hope that this year's class is able to make it on the field faster than last year's class because we didn't see too many freshmen in 2022. That brings us, though, to question number two. A big talent addition that's coming to the roster is Jackson Arnold. Sure. Dylan Gabriel, uh, We, I guess on the last podcast, we announced he was coming back, but that was really just a hype video, I think, that kind of mm-hmm. fooled us there. So he's still kind of in limbo there. Sure. I, If I were him, honestly... I think I would go pro because there's a lot of guys coming back to college right now might be the opportunity to to take your chance and maybe you make a practice squad or something. And it's just going to be a lot more crowded in the QB draft next year, in my opinion. And you take a big risk coming back, um, you know, potentially losing your job to Jackson Arnold. And then what do you do for the NFL draft? You so, think the, uh, you, you uh, think, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, a sticky situation there, but I guess I'm, I'm addressing the, the question number two, the five burning questions. Number two, what will happen at QB? You think it's a bigger risk Dylan Gabriel coming back to Oklahoma than it is him going to the NFL? Well, what if what if he gets you know Spencer Radlard for a better term? What if Jackson Arnold takes over at Texas and Dylan Gabriel doesn't play the rest of the year? Do you think he gets drafted? I don't. If, in that scenario, definitely not. I don't. I don't think he gets drafted in that scenario next year if Jackson I, Arnold he, overtakes him. But I think even if Dylan Gabriel comes out right now, and again, fantastic quarterback, you know, we hope to have him back in 2023. But just looking at, you know, with with what he's put on tape, and then you look and look around the NFL and you see what some of the elite quarterbacks are doing, I just don't know if I, I don't see him being any earlier than maybe a fifth round pick at this point. I, right I don't now. think so either. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And he may go undrafted, but look at all the guys that have come back to college. You've got Michael Penix coming back. You've got Sam Hartman coming back. There's there's several others as well. So I wonder if it is a softer draft class than versus next year when you have, you know, the the typical top in talent like Drake May. You'll have Bo Nix. You'll have Michael Penix. You'll have Caleb Williams. You'll have Sam Hartman. Like you'll just have a lot more guys at that point. I think going into the draft next year because you still have all those COVID years that are are kind of backlogging things a little bit. Yeah, I understand that. And again, just kind of going back to the original question, what do we you know, expect and hope to happen at the quarterback position for OU in 2023? I think in a perfect world, Adam, you would love Dylan Gabriel to come back because, you know, not just because he's a, you know, he's a fantastic college quarterback, makes tremendous plays, leader on and off the field for this OU football program. But I think that even more so, it's, it's the perfect situation for Jackson Arnold and his development. You know, many people, when you when you watch the tape, you, you turn it on and you see what Jackson Arnold did, you know, in his senior year at Denton Geyer against the best uh, competition in high school football across the country. Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about when you see, you know, the, the arm talent, all the skills and the weapons that this guy has in his arsenal. But I think in a perfect world, you would love for Dylan Gabriel to come back next year. That's your quarterback one, no doubt about it. It's going to be a competition. Dylan, you got to get better. Because there's a five star with with a stronger uh, stronger arm, it can make all the throws. Probably uh, has a way higher ceiling than you do, but you don't have to speed up the development process with Jackson Arnold if Dylan Gabriel comes back. You can allow Jackson to come in, learn from a proven veteran, kind of like Spencer Rattler did with Jalen Hurts. A little bit different, but you you like having that veteran. Uh, um, that veteran, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Presence. Uh, presence in, in that position room. So allow uh, Jackson Arnold to come in, grow, um, you know, build his body up, learn the scheme, learn the Jeff Levy system, very similar to what he was running at Denton Geyer. And then once you move into the 2024 season, that's when you can implement uh, Jackson Arnold to be quarterback one at the University of Oklahoma. So if I'm Dylan Gabriel, I've got to come back. 
I think OU fans have to remember that Caleb Williams wasn't always great as a true freshman. He was great against Texas. We all remember that. That's seared into our brains. But he was mediocre to bad in several other games as well. Um, so, and I think Caleb Williams is probably a better high school quarterback coming out than Jackson Arnold is. Caleb Williams might be the best quarterback that Lincoln Riley ever coaches. It's possible. Whoa, so, whoa, okay, let's let's I, let's let's press pause he, on that. He's doing some crazy things, and it could be some recency bias there, but. Um, and he's working with a lot less talent offensively, I think, than than Kyler Murray or even Baker Mayfield did. So I, there's possibilities doing more with less there. But that's not the, the focus of the question. The focus of the question is Jackson Arnold and Dylan Gabriel. And so I think it's just important to remember that five-star quarterbacks, as good as they are, usually don't come in and are amazing. <clears throat> with Dylan Gabriel, I think you have to, and this is, again, it goes back to coaching, you have to put him in the best position to su- su- succeed. We know what he is. I think we kind of knew what he was coming out of Central Florida. And now we're bringing him here to Oklahoma. We're asking him to throw way too much, in my opinion, 30, 40 times a game in some cases, and to carry this team and and to victory when we don't have a great defense. <laughs> and I just don't think that's the way that you need to set him up for success. There was two games this year where OU led in time of possession. One was the Florida State game, the Cheez-It Bowl. And that was a game where I think OU ran 80 plays. Only 24 of them were passing. The other was against Kansas. Yeah, Two of the better offensive performances, in my opinion. OU ran for over 250 yards in the Cheez-It Bowl. And if, and if you go back to Jeff Lebby's time at Ole Miss, when Matt Corral and Jeff Lebby had that offense humming, that was the same blueprint that they followed. It was pound the rock, you know, kind of be a consistent, you know, maybe 60-40 running the football, you know, predominant. And I think that that's one of the things that's got OU fans so excited about is, you know, going into next season with when you see Javante Barnes coming back for another year, you see Gavin Sawchuk, the performance that he just put out in the Cheez-It Bowl. I think that next year, if you've got a if you've got a solid offensive line, doesn't have to be great, doesn't have to be a Joe Moore Award winner type offensive unit, but if you've got a solid offensive line, you pair that with the two-headed running back monster that Oklahoma is going to have at their disposal next year. You're not going to have to ask Dylan Gabriel week in and week out to throw the ball 30-plus times a game to beat these teams. No, run the football, pick and choose your battles to take shots down the field, the big play threat um, that Dylan Gabriel throws one of the prettiest deep balls in college football. I think it makes all the sense in the world for Dylan Gabriel to come back next year uh, knowing that you've got the running back depth at, at your disposal uh, and you've got a chance to to improve your draft stock and you know uh, improve that highlight reel. Have to do it though. You have to rely on the running game, and I don't think Jeff Levy did a good enough job of that. Yes, you had Eric Gray, who was phenomenal. Outside of Eric Gray, Javante Barnes, uh, since the Kansas game, only had two times where he carried the ball more than ten times in a game. One was against yep. Kansas. One was against Florida State. And then we didn't see Gavin Sawchuck the entire season until the bowl game when he basically had to play. Turns out he was pretty solid. So we Might have to utilize multiple back backs. Yeah, we have to use like utilize multiple running backs. I think that's something Levy wants to do. Maybe he needs a little more nudging and pushing from the head coach to help guide and steer that because I think this team gets significantly better if we just run the ball, control the clock a little bit more. Because right now, that defense doesn't need to be on the field for 35, 40 minutes a game. They improved dramatically from probably where they are this year at 122nd. They probably get into at least the 90s alone without changing anything just by saying, hey, let's even out that time of possession just a little bit and not kill ourselves and shoot ourselves in the foot 
uh, with how we're running our offense. So yeah, I think that's the yeah. path to success, not for the team, but also for Dylan Gabriel to have success and lead this team where they need to go. And I think ultimately that's going to be, it's going to be better uh, for Jackson Arnold and hopefully he gets some experience, you know, elsewhere in, in blowouts <laughs> and situations, but I think that's the path to success for this team. You know, Adam, we briefly touched on the offensive line, and when we, you know, posted our our question on Twitter, what's the biggest question this offseason for Oklahoma? We got a good response from the Sooner dude. He brought up the offensive line, and you know, Adam, I think that Oklahoma, when you look at the makeup of the offensive line right now, going into the offseason, you look at the scholarship chart, who's currently on the roster, who's projected to come back for 2023. I think Oklahoma needs to get involved in the portal uh, for in this position group. Interior wise, I think you're okay right now from a starter standpoint with Rain with Bird, with Matower, uh, but you're extremely thin right now at both tackle positions with the loss of Anton Harrison, Wanye Morris, and you combine that with a knee injury uh, to Jacob Sexton in the bowl game just a few, just a couple of days ago. Oklahoma, in my opinion, needs to get two, maybe three in the portal, and one of those better be an experienced tackle to start opposite of Tyler Guyton next year uh, because it doesn't matter how good your running backs are, doesn't matter how good your quarterback is, you can't protect him, can't run block for him, that's ultimate equalizer. Well, ask and you you might receive because Walter Rouse, the left tackle from Stanford, is visiting Norman as we speak. Yes, started please. 37 games at left tackle for the Cardinal. I think he'd be a great fit there if we can uh, can uh, secure that transfer. For sure. There's some other interior guys. Uh, I think there's a, a transfer from Miami of Ohio that's currently uh, visiting as well, an interior guy. Yeah. That's good. I, I still am apprehensive about guys from the group of five uh, level coming up to OU, but I think, yeah, that offensive line uh, would, would be a big, big one there to, uh, to help out. Question number three, who is the defensive coordinator and does anything improve going into 2023? I think it's, it's gotta be Ted roof. It's going to be Ted roof for a couple different reasons. Number one, if this thing does go South again next year, there's your fall guy. Brent Venables. Isn't he already I, the fall guy? He kind of is the fall guy, but he still has a job. And again, this <laughs> this defense, as you know, as up and down as it was, I think that it did get better as a whole. You could see some improvement uh, in you know a few different aspects of the defense collectively as the season progressed on and on. Um, so yeah, Ted Roof's going to be your defensive coordinator. I think that one thing, hopefully, going into next season, I, I would hope that Brandon Hall would have a little bit more input overall as far as you know game plan goes, personnel decisions. We all know he's got experience calling the defense from his time as the D.C. at Troy. Uh, but in talking about how much improvement can we expect to see from uh, from this Oklahoma defense next year, I think that you know the, the biggest question mark going into next season, I've already said it, is going to be the defensive line. You lose Jalen Redmond who you know was kind of up and down this season. You lose a few, couple of other you know contributors uh, to the transfer portal. So what's Oklahoma going to do on the interior of the defensive line next season? Now, on the back end, that's a completely different story. We we've got the we heard the announcement just a couple of days ago, Woody Washington, cornerback number 1, he's going to be returning to OU for one final season. You pair Woody with Key Lawrence, Billy Bowman, Jay Davis, RSJ, Gentry Williams, Reggie Pearson, the transfer from uh, Texas Tech, the hard-hitting safety. He's not afraid of physicality. And then you've got nine incoming freshman defensive backs highlighted by five-star Peyton Bowen coming in to complement what's already a pretty seasoned group uh, in the back end of Brent Venable's defense next year. Adam, I think that this has an opportunity 
to be Oklahoma's deepest, most experienced, and most talented secondary since the days of when you had Tony Jefferson, Aaron Colvin, Demontre Hurst all on the field together. So big offseason for them, but I think the next year the defensive back group has a chance to be vastly improved. Yeah, I, I agree with you in regards to... We're already getting the hype train going for this. We're not <laughs> even a week removed from the yeah. season. We're already building the hype. I, I think Ted Roof will probably be the defensive coordinator. If he's not, Todd Bates, Brandon Hall makes sense there, and you bring in a positional coach uh, for linebackers. But Brent Venables, I think, needs, I think he does need to pick a lane. Is he going to be the defensive coordinator, or is he going to be the head coach? And I, I wonder how much of the in-game coaching suffered because... Brent had to increasingly spend more and more time with the defense. I, I I don't know. Maybe it had no effect at all, but I I can only wonder there. You know how focused was he on that while the offense was going three and out as fast as possible? And yeah. would that have changed if Brent was was focused a little bit more on the overall game management, the CEO type of role? I, you bring up a really good point on the defensive line there. That there needs to be a lot more guys there. There needs to be depth. Um, we we got some responses on Twitter, several about this as well. Our friend Jordan Esco. Uh, said consistent pass rush, something we didn't really see at all after the non-conference yep. schedule. Not Josh Gilbert. His response was stack 300 pounders on the defensive line uh, specifically. Uh, and then Justin Wingo also mentioned uh, defensive tacklers, anyone on the defensive line really that could demand a double team. We really didn't have a guy like that. Um, we've got uh, Devon Sears that's uh, visiting currently uh, from yep. Texas State. He's a, a very big, very athletic guy. Didn't have a whole lot of production at Texas State. That makes me nervous. Uh, I know Justin Rogers is a name that people are talking about. Former five-star that uh, is at Kentucky. He's now in the transfer portal. It's to be determined how realistic that might be. He does Todd have a Bates. relationship with Todd Bates. Yes. Yeah. So you I, could get some guys in there, but you know this pass rush was really dependent on a great scheme, a great blitz from Brent Venables, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But the great Brent Venables defenses of years past, think back to 07, 08, 09, those types of era of defenses, they got to the quarterback with four players. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we have four guys that are going to get there right now. You got Trace Ford in the portal. I'm I'm really unsure about what we're going to get out of him just because he's had so many injuries. You got Desan McCullough. I think that's awesome. He looks like an elite pass rusher. Mm -hmm. Where is he going to play? Is he going to be rushing the quarterback all the time? Is he going to be hanging out in the secondary? I have no idea. But... Yeah, there, there's, there's got to be a consistent pass rush, and Brent Venables has to figure out what type of role he plays in that process. Well, and I, I think, too, and, you know, Jordan Esco made a really good point. You know, consistent pass rush was, you know, definitely something that played this Oklahoma defense. It was completely unreliable, and you made a really, really good point as well, Adam. When Oklahoma was able to get pressure on the quarterback, that was from, you know, dialed-up blitzes, you know, that, that Brent Venables drew up when you're bringing, you know, bringing a linebacker, you're bringing a defensive back. But I think it's going to be interesting if we see any, if we see any you know, position changes this offseason with uh, with some of the guys uh, like a, like a Reggie Grimes or an Ethan Downs, you know, two guys that as far as edge position goes, not that dynamic of a pass rusher, you know, out Reggie Grimes disappeared. I, I think Reggie Grimes still might be in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, we didn't really see him at all in Big 12 conference play. But you, if there's an opportunity where you could see Grimes and Downs maybe slide inside, play a three technique, R. Mason Thomas having another year, he's going to be, you know, one year bigger, faster, stronger. Um, he's got a tremendous amount of upside, good amount of experience this year. Jonah Lualu, we know what we're going to get from him. Not the you know he he flashes at times, not super consistent. Marcus Stripling, does he come back for one more year? Trace Ford, we're 
kind of basing our excitement level off of what he did in his first year at Oklahoma State, and that was before two serious uh, two serious knee injuries. But Adam, I think that <laughs> I, I think it's going to be interesting. I don't. I'm not sure that you'll have a true difference maker on the interior, but I think across the board, you have an opportunity to have. Uh, a handful of guys that can be key contributors, you know, playing and play out. We've already seen the the next almost, you know, bookie type love fest uh, that, that we're seeing, and that's with incoming five-star edge, you know, P.J. Adebowale, uh, who if you've watched any of the uh, Under Armour game coverage this week, just the fact Oklahoma got him, Oklahoma has not had guys that look like that uh, in quite some time. So we'll see what he's able to do as a true freshman impact in a big way if he can. But yeah, I think uh, consistent pass rush, that that's, that is a big thing. Adam, you make a really, really, really good point, whether it was at Oklahoma the first time, whether it was at Clemson. When you've got three to four difference makers playing and play out on the defensive line, that makes the linebacker's job easier. That makes playing coverage in the secondary easier on your defensive backs. So Oklahoma is going to have to figure out a way this year and recruiting-wise going into 2024 You've got to bring in difference makers on the interior of the defensive line. And I think Todd Bates, McGill Chavis, um, and uh, Burnt Venables are poised to do that. We didn't get too many Twitter responses on our next question, but I still think it's an area of concern. Question number four, who's coaching the wide receivers and who's in that room uh, that is being coached? We're still unsure about Marvin Mims. We're mm-hmm. trying to get some portal guys there, but who knows who's going to be coaching them at this point? Do you think the is it is it more of an indictment on Ladamian Washington that Oklahoma has yet to nail a transfer portal guy, or is that more of a sign that Marvin Mims is set to return for Oklahoma next season? Mixture of both. Are you asking if you think Washington's not a good enough recruiter? Is it more so, so that, or is it along the lines of Oklahoma knows that Marvin Mims is coming back, and from a kid coming out of the transfer portal is Oklahoma a less appealing place when you've got a you know all-american type wide receiver pair that with Jalil Farouk and a couple other really nice you know players um, coming up as well does that make Oklahoma less attractive of a destination for a pass catcher when you've got Marvin Mims coming back I can't I'm not sure the answer to that question because we heard so many good things about LaDamian Washington when he had to step into that role and, and recruits that said, Oh, I know him. Like I have a good relationship with him. Yep. It hasn't brought fruit in the recruiting game over the course of the last several months. It hasn't brought fruit in the transfer portal. If I'm a transfer portal player though, and maybe they're not digging into the film, like, you know, we see every play. I don't know that I'd be scared of Marvin Mims or Jaleel Farouk. Marvin Mims, honestly, he had his best year, but he had so many games where he had like two catches for 90 yards. Mm -hmm. Like he had great, like big plays and then just disappeared. He was not a chain mover at all. Yeah. And Farouk kind of looks like that guy. He looks like the guy that should be getting the ball quite a bit, you know, moving the chains consistently as well as hitting a couple of, you know, medium and deep range passes. Mm -hmm. And Mims, I don't know if it's him or if it's scheme, but we have three years of, of seeing him now. And that's kind of been the case where He's non-existent for the most part, other than a couple of deep catches that do add up sometimes. 
So yeah, as as good of a job as or as good of a season as uh, as Marvin Mims had this year, definitely a lot left to be desired. He definitely left a lot of meat on the bone for what this yeah. season could have become without the you know the stretches of play where you know he had the drops. So he had a case of the drops a little bit, but you, you almost kind of have to wonder if if there is going to be a coaching change in place. I mean, everybody wants to talk about Malcolm Kelly. He's playing in the he's coaching in the national championship game. Are we just waiting for the season to come to an end? Would Malcolm Kelly even want to come back? Um, his I stock's would hope pretty. So. You would hope so, Surely. but at, the, at this point right now, TCU can pay private university. If they're with the momentum that they've got right now, they're going to do anything and everything that they can. But Malcolm Kelly, right now, his stock's got to be as high as anybody. When you look and see what the uh, what that position group is doing down in Fort Worth this year, he's about to have a first round draft pick in Quentin Johnson that he helped develop over the last couple of seasons. So, is OU just simply waiting for the regular se- or for the season to come to an end and they can bring in Malcolm Kelly or? Is there another guy off the radar, or is LaDamian Washington going to be the full-time wide receivers coach going into 2023? I'm not sure. The, f- the fact that they haven't announced Washington as the full-time receiver coach yet means to me that I think they're trying or looking for someone else or or waiting for someone else. I, I would hope that Malcolm Kelly wants to come back to OU because OU should be able to match whatever it is, even at TCU. But TCU is going to stay in the Big 12. That money's not getting better there. OU's going to the FCC. That's going to be the big-time money. That's going to be primetime football and his stock's not going to get higher. Like TCU might win the national championship on Monday. They're probably not going to do that ever again for as long as Malcolm Kelly coaches there. He's going to have the opportunity to go win titles at Oklahoma. And I don't know if he's necessarily being considered for offensive coordinator roles or if Garrett Riley were to leave TCU, <clears throat> would he be an offensive coordinator candidate? I don't necessarily know that, but well, I don't think that he's gaining anything necessarily by staying at TCU. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, Garrett Riley, he turned down Texas A&M. He turned down that contract. So um, that's not a good place to be as an offensive coordinator. No, as no. proof in the pudding that Bobby Petrino was the only one that was interested in just taking a, that and working just under Jimbo Fisher. It's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's the gift that yeah. keeps on giving. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun to see. I mean, obviously, right now the biggest biggest thing up in the air right now for Oklahoma fans playing the waiting game. What's Marvin Mims going to do? But. We'll see. I, I think the LaDamian Washington, if you're Oklahoma, I think that you try to keep LaDamian Washington on staff, you know, assistant coach, offensive analyst in the, you know, keep him in that room because he's done a good job this year. He's thrown into a really tough situation with Kale getting fired. But I still think if Oklahoma wants to continue to climb and climb and climb to the level that it's going to take to compete in the SEC and win a national championship, you've got to go out there and not just get an elite position coach, but you've got to get an elite position coach that's a badass on the recruiting trail. And we'll see if Brent can do that. Let's say Kale Gundy fiasco did not happen. He coaches this year and then says, hey, I'm retiring. Mm-hmm. Are you promoting LaDamian Washington to the wide receivers coach in that scenario? No. Uh, and I, I don't think anything's changed my mind based on what he coached this year. Mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily know that like it was his fault that the receivers weren't better, but yeah, there's just nothing that... like really gets me excited on that so yeah we'll see yeah i hope he sticks around and continues to grow and he'll probably have opportunities to go elsewhere and continue to grow his career because i think he is he's a good coach um Mm -hmm. but oh you needs to be an elite level at this point sure so sure that brings us to question number five our final one on the five burning questions repeat or championship and Really what this boils down to is, are we going to get another six and seven year? If you had to choose one or the other, a six Define or seven cha- year. Which championship? I, I, I'm, just, I'm defining it, yeah. Because it used to be a big thread, a big uh, talking point that, hey, 
so many coaches won a national championship in their second year at a school because there was a huge jump from year one to year two. Sonny Dykes is bucking that trend right in our face, uh, just down the road at TCU, proving that you don't need time to adjust necessarily in every scenario. But, uh, you know, could, could Brent Venables win a national championship? I think that's kind of crazy to talk about right now. It's kind of even crazy to consider. But if you had to choose one or the other, is OU repeating at six and seven or are they winning national championship? I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think, unless you've got crimson color glasses on, I don't know how you could sit here and realistically say that Oklahoma is a better chance of winning a national But is it more likely than going six and seven again? I think it's more likely that Oklahoma wins six or seven games next year than it is Oklahoma winning a college football national championship. Just because I, I know that so many people want to talk about, you know, the the improvement. You know, Bob Stoops won a national title after going seven as five in first year, but I just think that right now, Oklahoma is not in a position. The program, the depth, especially, is not at a championship level uh, caliber yet. It's building that way. You go out there, 2024, 2025 cycle, you sign two more top five classes. That's when you're starting to get into the the upper echelon where you've got a roster that rivals the Georgias, the Bamas, the Ohio States. But next season, while I expect Oklahoma to take a step forward, to be better, to win some of those one-possession games as opposed to losing them like this season, I still think it's more likely that they're a six- or seven-win team next year than they are winning a national championship. I agree with you. And it it's tough for me as an OU fan because I think I have to – I have to understand like where this program is and that we're not at the same level, even as like Ohio state, mm-hmm. Georgia and Bama. And I I've known that for several years, but I'm starting to think we're even further away than I initially thought. And it doesn't help that TCU just down the road from us is breaking all those rules, the blue chip yeah, ratios, the but... first year coach it's breaking all those rules. And I know it is an anomaly. And it's probably not going to happen again for another 30 years. That a team does something like that. Well, but... Look at the, look at the, the amount of veteran, um, players on that team. I mean, that's one of the most senior driven teams in college football that we've seen in quite some time. I think they've got two uh, non-upperclassmen um, starting right now for them. So, I mean, it's like you said, it's an anomaly. It's a one-off, but kind of one last thing, and I'll put a bow on this as far as Oklahoma is it national championship. Is it more likely we're a 500 team? You look at that scholarship chart and for uh, the one that I'm referring to is the one that Josh McQuishan of Sooner Scoop put out there. If you're not a subscriber to Sooner Scoop, I would highly recommend you doing so, especially during the offseason. You go down that scholarship chart, you see what Oklahoma still has on their roster going into next year. Even combine that with Jacob Lacey with potentially what's still out there in the transfer portal that Todd Bates could add. With what OU has on the offense and defensive line, they are not even close to winning a national championship right now. I'm sorry. I know it's, there's a lot of young unproven talent that needs to be developed and coached up. That's going to take time. I think right now you're continuing to build the culture, continuing to, you know, build these players up. I think you're looking probably 2024, 2025 as it being more realistic of OU winning a national championship. It hurts to agree with you because I don't often think you're right, Tyler, but it also means that OU is further away than, than I think. So uh, it hurts, but I do agree with you there. Let's wrap up tonight talking a little bit of men's basketball. Uh, just before we God. hit record, OU takes another uh, second straight loss at home in conference play to Iowa State, a game where the Sooners basically didn't show up for the first eight minutes or so, got down, I think it was 25-7 to seven at one point, then went on something like a 20 to nothing run, 
uh, came all the way back, took the lead, and then just down the stretch, couldn't make that final play, end up losing by three points at home to a top 25 Iowa State team. And as I'm watching the game, I'm, I'm riding the emotional ups and downs as the game goes, just like the team is. But I'm sitting here going, man, if OU does nothing but win the rest of their home games, that puts OU at 17 wins. I don't think that's a tournament team. And I don't have confidence that OU will win every home game going forward. You've got Kansas. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody in the Big 12. OU's got the third toughest uh, schedule in the entire country Mm -hmm. remaining at this point. I don't have faith that OU's going to be able to go on the road anywhere and perform, much less win every single matchup that they have here at home in the uh, the Quiet Noble Center. So, <laughs> well, th- much, this is not a tournament team. No, much like football this season, Oklahoma spent the last two weeks losing back-to-back one-possession games. So uh, you're 0-2 to start Big 12 Conference play. You've got some nice uh, – they're, they're not crazy good, but you've got some nice non-conference wins. Uh, but you're 0-2 in conference play. You got to go to Lubbock on Saturday. That's 0 and 3. Then I just simply don't know what Oklahoma, with the current makeup of this roster right now, yes, Grant Sherfield, fantastic. If Oklahoma wins a game, it's going to be because he goes off, just because the talent from top to bottom is not where it needs to be yet. That's coming. But it's just, it's kind of frustrating watching this team, Adam, because they, some stretches, they play such good basketball. Like tonight, they got down 25 to 7. Terrible. Then they go on a twenty to nothing run to take the lead and make this a make this a one possession game the rest of the way. But I, again, we've talked about it and it was highlighted. It's year in and year out, and we see it every time Oklahoma plays Texas or Kansas or a team with a big man. Until Oklahoma has a consistent difference maker down in the post playing the five position, it's going to be the same thing year in and year out with this basketball team. Oklahoma doesn't have. Uh, the Isaiah Cousins or the Jordan Woodards or a Buddy Hill, they don't have guards right now that they can consistently rely to score the basketball, particularly from beyond the arc, uh, to win Big 12 games. So Oklahoma's got to continue to recruit. Porter Mosier is doing that. There are reinforcements on the way with what he's bringing in in the upcoming recruiting class. But yeah, I'm not super excited about the the uh, rest of this 2023 season. We'll see. Hopefully they prove me wrong, but it's not looking good right now that this team's going to be playing in March. Yeah, and I do think the team has shown improvement. They have last year. I, have. I think that Grant Sherfield is a better lead scorer. I think Jacob Groves has clearly taken a step. Mm-hmm. I think Bijan, he's looking a little bit more consistent. But Tanner Groves, he's the same guy, and it's only going to get you know worse as conference play starts, and he has to go up against bigger, more physical uh, players. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's kind of funny because uh, I was watching the game earlier this evening, and and Bijan Cortez is out there. I'm rooting for the kid. I want him to do really well because he's an Oklahoma guy and um, it's always fun to root for those guys. For Um, sure. But I just mentioned to my wife, I was like, he looks so, he looks so odd out there on the court. I don't know if it's the hair or or the way he moves or whatever. It just looks funny. And her response was, well, (laughs) Oklahoma's not known as a place that basketball players want to go. Right. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, well, yeah, Unless you're kind you're, of right. Unless you're an Oklahoma kid or you're from the Bahamas. So, yeah. I and I don't know. It's been eight years since Buddy took us to the final four. It was eight years between Buddy and, and Blake Griffin and that elite eight run. And then I guess a little less than eight years before uh, Blake Griffin and Hollis Price went to the final four. Mm-hmm. But here we stand. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't see it. I, I like Porter, Porter Moser, but like you mentioned, until we have that difference maker down low, I don't see this team going anywhere. And, 
I like what Sam Godwin brings off the bench, um, but he, he's not a starter. He's not a guy that's going to contribute like that. Um, but you need, you need someone that is like mega Sam Godwin at this point, like is able to be your starter and, and be a guy that can score 15 to 20 points a night and sure. consistently play great defense and rebound. We just don't have that. So mm-hmm. I just, I really wonder where, where this team's going to go. And, but what we do have, get Adam, what we do have, Adam, are diamond sports coming quickly. That's right. So the little tidbit I teased earlier about baseball, uh, it was uh, the perfect game that came out with their top 25 uh, college baseball rankings. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but uh, no Oklahoma in the entire top 25. In fact, only I think only five of the uh, eight Omaha teams uh, from this past year were even listed mm-hmm. in the top 25. So it wasn't just OU, but there's a lot of new names, a lot of new faces uh, coming to this roster for OU. You, you, we'll go in a little bit more detail probably as we get a little bit closer to the start of the season. They're going to get things going here in mid-February, probably do a little bit more previewing. I think that's something that excites me because people are going to want to know a little bit more about what's going on from last year's national runner-up team, uh, but not getting a whole lot of respect, uh, at least from one of the first polls that we've seen so far for college baseball. And then, of course, softball. I'm sure they'll be like unanimous number one, just making the champs right now, right? Well, I think they're going to be better than they were a year ago, Adam, and that's that's scary considering yeah. Jocelyn Allo no longer part of the roster. Uh, G. Wara is no longer part of the roster. But, yeah, I think you look at the makeup, pitching staff, top to bottom, lineup one through nine. We all know this. Oklahoma softball's B team, their backups, probably could still be top two in the Big 12. So I, can't, I cannot wait to see what Patty's group does this year. Tiari Jennings is back. The pitching staff's going to be dominant. Kenzie Hansen's back for another year. They've got a couple of really good transfers. We'll dive into softball preview a little bit a little bit later. I'm sure we'll get Plank back on here, a couple other p- potential guests. But, yeah, cannot wait. And the fact that Diamond Sports are vastly approaching, it's a good time right now to be an OU fan. You want a hot take for January 4th? T.R.A. Jennings, better hitter than uh, Jocelyn Allo. More complete hitter than Jocelyn Allo. I think she might be a better – I think she might end up with better per game home run stats than Jocelyn Olive as well. well she won't have the, the COVID season to help her out with that, with some mm-hmm. of those career stats. But so far she's paced basically on the same level as Jocelyn Allo. Yep. And some categories so, you tweeted it out the other day. She's ahead of Jocelyn Allo at this point in her career yeah. with where Jossie yeah. was at too. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I can't wait to get it going. Definitely. Well, that's going to do it for us here at the Mainline Podcast uh, this week. We appreciate everyone listening. We had our best year ever on record uh, in 2022. So appreciate every one of you who, who listens to us. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Find us on YouTube by searching the Mainline Podcast. And of course, on Twitter, as always, where we like to take your interactions and read some of them here on the pod as well. You can find us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. And as we're wrapping up, CJ Colden just announced he is declaring for the NFL draft. We can put that rumor. We can put that rumor to bed. CJ Colden will not be a Sooner in 2023. So CJ, appreciate everything. Was probably OU's best cornerback on the back half of the season. Unfortunately, he is not going to be returning next fall uh, for Team 129. So good luck, CJ. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We will see everyone again next week for the Mainline Podcast. Podcast.